Hey, it's Justin, and I have a big announcement and personal invitation for you. This May, we're inviting a small group of people to Austin to learn how to grow their wealth tax-free and get access to some of my personal friends and experts in the industry. We did something similar last year, and the feedback was incredible, so we set aside a few tickets for non-Mastermind members to join us for this event. You'll spend some time learning from Garrett Gunderson, the brilliant and hilarious mind behind Money Unmasked, and the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Killing Sacred Cows, and one of my favorite books, What Would the Rockefellers Do? He's going to share his insights on how to grow your assets tax-free with life insurance. And you'll also get some time with Rob Dial, the mastermind behind the Mindset Mentor Podcast, who will share with you how to find fulfillment in success. Then you'll get to participate in a special investment presentation, in-depth discussions, and breakout sessions on two crucial yet often overlooked topics, personalized tax strategies and wealth building. Plus, when you register, you'll have the opportunity to attend a one-day course the day before on vetting deals. If you want to learn our process so that you can make great decisions, there's no better teacher than Hans Box. This is our most requested topic, and it'll be an exceptional course. Seats for the course and the one-day event are limited, so if you're interested, please grab your ticket today. I always say you're just one connection, one decision, and one strategy away from true freedom, and I look forward to helping you on your journey. Head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live or click the link around this video and secure your ticket now before we sell out. Hope to see you in Austin this May. Once again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live. I can't wait to see you there. Now, let's get into today's episode. You know, there's this thing where it's like when people start making good money, they just stop budgeting. I don't know about you, but like when I think about budgeting, I think about like my plan for future money. It's like, how do I tell my money what to do? Like, or let's reverse the control here. And like, I'm going to give the money in my accounts a job to do. And if it doesn't do its job, then I'm going to hold it accountable to that. Um, and so really not looking at, at tracking and budgeting and some of these things that are just kind of like negative connotations, not looking at them from a place of weakness or slavery, but looking at them from a place of control and power. It's like the better your planning is, the more your money will do for you long-term. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now, I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. It's not often you get the chance to speak to a man who dreamed of being a church pastor, but instead became a real estate investing mogul. That's why I'm excited to talk to Taylor Welsh, internationally acclaimed business consultant and entrepreneur. Taylor has advised and serviced over 50,000 businesses worldwide in the last five years and currently sits as the CEO of several multi-eight-figure companies. One of the things that I love the most about Taylor is that even amid adversity, he never compromised his mindset of learning and surrounding himself with people smarter than him. Using that mindset, he scaled his first business, Traffic and Funnels, from zero to tens of millions of dollars in just five years. No wonder he built a name for himself in hundreds of industries and is nearing three quarters of a billion dollars in client revenue. He's now pulling back the curtain on how other businesses and individuals can achieve the same level of success. In this episode, we go over his journey from wanting to be a pastor to making millions in real estate, the importance of mindset for creating abundance in every aspect of life, his thoughts on the future of crypto, and so much more. One more thing before we get to today's interview. Taylor has a special gift for Lifestyle Investor podcast listeners. 
He's giving you free access to his Passive Income Empire Workshop, a course valued at $1,500. In 2019, Taylor bought his first tangible asset. It was a property in Huntsville, Alabama. Shortly after, he bought two more properties, totaling about $400,000 of assets purchased in 2019. In 2020, he acquired over $21 million of assets. This workshop contains the recordings from the first and only place he's ever broken down his financial models and investment strategies. To get access to this gift, visit justindonald.com forward slash 92. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Taylor Welch. Hey, Taylor, thanks for joining the show. So glad to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I think you and I share a lot of mutual friends uh, and a good friend in Eric Van Horn. And Eric has just raved about you. And he's like, you guys are on the same page. You have to know each other. You have to just, you know, talk about what you do. And so I've had a lot of fun getting to know you and, you know, learning about all the cool stuff you're doing in the world of entrepreneurship and investing. And I just want to say hats off, man. Congrats on all the success you've had. And I'm excited for you to share some of your story with our listeners today. Man, thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to, to get to know even your world even more. Eric raves about you as well. Funny. He's like, you got to talk to this guy. So it's like, sign me up. Here I am. I love it. Well, so let's go back. When did you figure out that you were going to become an entrepreneur, right? Did you know this early on or is no. this something that you figured out through like the pain of corporate America or, you know, just maybe working for someone else that it wasn't a good situation. Give me, give me the scoop. Yeah. So my, my wife, who was my fiance at the time, the first time that I ever thought, Oh, maybe I don't have to work for a, for a boss. Uh, We were like about to get married. It was like a week before we got married. And she just decided that she was going to take off for a week. And I was like, what do you mean you're going to take off for a week? She's like, I've I'm just not going to work. I'm not going to take clients. And she's uh, she owned a salon. And uh, that was the first time I was like, man, I don't know if I'm just like dumb or I've been living like under a rock, but like, how can you take off for a week and survive? Like, I, I had no idea that that world existed. And it to the point where I think in hindsight, sometimes I do, I'm jealous of people who you hear the stories are like, man, I, I started my first business when I was six and selling lemonade and like, I just didn't have that. Like I didn't really know what entrepreneurship even was. My whole life, I had one goal, and I wanted to uh, be in the ministry, and I wanted to be a pastor, which is which is fine. Um, but I got that wish, and then promptly decided I no longer wanted to work at a church because you don't get paid. Uh, and it was, you know, it was like I got to figure something something else out. But I transitioned from that into real estate, and from real estate, you know, mixed with just the exposure to Lindsay, who's my wife, like you know working for her own salon and owning the, the business. And just like seeing that day in and day out, I was like, I think that I could develop a skill set and I could go on to do my own thing. And so I, I did that. And one of the cool things about what I did is like, I actually learned marketing and did it for my employer. And so, you know, I tell people today, the first time I got my, my, my own client, I stayed at the day job. Because I kind of treat it as like two different incomes. And one income I would sort of invest with, and the other income, you know, I would use to pay our bills. And I see people today like they like quit their jobs so quickly and then they're left in a position of struggle and pressure. And so that was my story. I worked for 14 months after figuring out the entrepreneur side. And I just used that to to bankroll investment opportunities and courses and things like that. So yeah, that that's very similar to you know the way that I did it because I could have cut the cord, but I didn't because I wanted a smoother transition. And, yes. you know, it's, it's funny, it, it, different people, like in that moment, that was the best, that was the smartest for me. But at the same time, uh, I figured out really fast once I had my time back. So I actually wonder, should I have just left sooner because of how quickly I was able to figure it out once I was in control of my time? But the, yeah. to me, the, the way that actually got me to feel like I could do it was easing out of it, feeling like I could invest with these dollars, but I could cover my bills with the day job. At that point in time, it was like a separate business, but it was under the banner of someone else's business. So it wasn't fully mine. It was like partially mine. That's interesting. And it's also cool hearing your story like, hey, I want to be a pastor. 
and what I've learned is there are so many ways that we can impact people, inspire people, teach people, build authentic, genuine, strong relationships outside of the parameters of the box of church. And so I love that you're able to do that in this world of entrepreneurship and, and really where you've kind of specialized in this world of online marketing. Before we get to that, though, before we get to the fact that you're a founder and a CEO of, you know, five multi eight figure companies and how quickly you were able to scale those. I mean, your resume is incredible. Before we get there, though, you made the leap first to real estate. Walk me through what that looked like and, and you know, how that scaled and then maybe the transition there. I, I love transitions because yeah. they're was, like defining was- moments. 100%. It was totally random. Uh, I I was looking for a place to go because I didn't want to work at full-time at the church. I wanted to be involved in, in church as a volunteer. One of my friends was working at a property management company. It was a turnkey real estate company in Memphis. You might be familiar with uh, the clothiers. It was Kent Clothier Sr. Uh, so this this dude is like uh, ancient. You know, he comes from, the, from old gross, grocer worlds. Um, and he offered, he gave me a job and uh, I had never done real estate before in my life. Had no idea what was going on. I worked for a guy named Nate in property management. Uh, and it's funny because I felt so cool that I was working in real estate and people would ask, what are you doing? I was like, I'm, I'm in real estate now, but I was really in property management, which is slightly different than real estate. It's like, it's not really real estate. It's more of the cleanup side, uh, the management side of real estate, but I learned how important it was. Nothing works without management. And nothing like it, it's the it's the engine that makes everything profitable, and uh, I inherited the head of maintenance within a couple of months in the property management firm. He and Memphis Invest at the time. I think they have a different name now. But we were doing managing 4,500, 5,500 properties, uh, and so it was crazy. You know, to go from having no idea what real estate is to then like really the bottom or the underbelly of the real estate empire, single family housing in Memphis, Tennessee. It's not the most, you know, it's be- It's not a beautiful market. It's talking about Memphis where it's just like, you know, blue collar, cash on cash is good. And the one of the owners whose name is Chris, one day was just like, we need somebody who can help us with the uh, the newsletter. You know, At the time, the company wasn't doing a lot of marketing. Everything was you know, mostly partnerships and JVs and things of that nature. And Unbeknownst to him, I had started learning marketing because my wife wanted more clients. And I was like, I think I can figure this out. So I picked up a couple of courses by John Carlton. He's a famous copywriter. And I started learning and I was sending direct mail, Justin, to random houses inside of Memphis area. And she was getting clients from him. Wow. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, this is amazing. Like, you know, we'll never, we'll never worry about money again. Like I'm the greatest marketer of all time. And little did I know, it's like, I was getting, I was getting lucky. Uh, because I was taking templates and repurposing them. But anyways, I learned uh, how to use HubSpot at Memphis Invest, and I've started running the the newsletter for the company. And so I think one of the things about me, and when you talk about the resume, but one of the things that I learned because I, of, of, to be honest, like an incredible mom and dad, like I got lucky or blessed or whatever you want to call it to have a father who trained me as I was growing up, my dad was the VP of sales at Allstate. And so he would drag me around to these stupid conferences. And I was a kid and I'm like, oh, this is a boring thing. I've never done anything this boring before. I've listened to Patrick <laughs> Lencioni as a 12 year old. And I'm like, what is this guy talking about? I don't care about any of this. Um, and my dad would, would barter with me and he would feed me Chick-fil-A to get me to go to these things. And we'd go play basketball afterwards. But man, there was something about it when I, when I came of age, as you would say, or like I got into the workforce, I had this thing about me where I was just like, I'll do it. I'll become more valuable. Let me expand. Let me expand. Let me expand. Let me go over here. Let me go over there. And Kent and Chris and Nate and all those guys, they recognized that. And so they just kept giving me more, you know? And, and as soon as they would give it a couple of months, I'd have myself worked out of the job with systems and people, and they would give me more. A couple of months later, I'd work myself out. And eventually it became like, I'll never forget sitting down with uh, with Kent Sr., and I was like, I don't have to leave. I'm sorry, but like, I'm making you know, 35 grand a month on the side, on weekends, and uh, you know I'm getting paid 40 grand here, and there's just 40 grand a year. I gotta leave. He gave me some of the best advice ever of just like prioritizing the right things. He was this man who had done arguably tremendously well for himself financially, 
And um, some of the regrets that he shared with me, just like participating in the lives of your children and being there for your spouse. And it never left me. And I think even we talked about it on our calls, it's like, man, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to be a good husband. But that was my transition path is like, I learned marketing while at the firm. And then I got into the marketing world and forgot all about real estate. Then I get back into real estate in 2019, uh, several years later. And that's kind of how that the transition story of my life from the ministry to real estate to marketing was all within about an 18 month window, like really quick. Wow. You know, it's, it's interesting to, you know, kind of go bird's eye view and look at the breadcrumbs that are left and this trail that you follow, right? It's like this one decision and the trajectory that you had on is incredible. And by the way, we have so much in common because when I first started in single family homes, I started on, you know, kind of buying them and realized it takes a lot of money to buy a lot of them. And then I transitioned into maintenance and started a company that you know, to really be the maintenance arm of the largest institutional owners of single family uh, home rentals, which is a huge business, huge opportunity. And like you said, like, if you don't have property management, it's going to be a train wreck. And and that maintenance component of it is, is an integral part. And so that's been huge yes. for us where you don't have the massive cash outlay that you would in acquiring the homes, but you can have the consistency and cash flow of uh, having a ton of work, but it's hard. It's hard to scale management and maintenance for homes that are spread out across the United States. You know, in, in your case, it sounds good because at least they're all over Memphis, but let's just take Memphis. Memphis is huge. It's not like one apartment complex where you have 500 units all in one spot. Yeah. Even in the city of Memphis, logistically, it's a nightmare to coordinate everything that needs to get done. And so for us, we built this proprietary software that that really helped. And we figured if we invested heavily on the tech side, we could transition and become a tech company instead of a service company, uh, which was a really cool nice. and strategic play. And we raised our money from S3 Ventures here in Austin, the, the largest Texas VC based on being a tech company. So that strategy what's, was good. What's that? What's that called? How do we get on that? It's IFM Restoration is the name of that company. And, you know, we're all all across the the globe. And I think recently we've kind of moved, uh, most of our clients are 10,000 homes or or more, but I think uh, we recently started lowering that number to like a thousand homes, but in the right markets where we already have staff established, that's definitely a possibility. So, I mean, that space is booming, but it's work, right? Like there there is an aspect of, really need to build out the systems like I know that you're good at because otherwise it's just, it, it's total chaos, right? Yeah. I love though that you've been able to transition and say, hey, all right, I'm going to help my wife scale her business and I want to make sure that I'm present and supporting her. I'm present for my kids. Uh, you know, another shout out to Front Row Dads, a, a group that I'm part of that is about being really family men first and businessmen second and, and prioritizing the family. Uh, and we're actually heading to Nashville, your neck of the woods here for our event here in uh, what, two weeks, two and a half weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that'll be really fun. And I love though that you said, hey, let me let me prioritize this for my wife. Let me help scale her business. Let me figure this out. And then from that, because of wanting to serve her, you figure out this niche of a market that you are able to tackle and grow your wealth and, and grow your influence to a level that you may never have been able to get to with maybe just the church or maybe just in real estate. And I think that's incredible because you are a who's who in that space. And I'd love to hear you speak about that a little bit. Yeah. Which, which part really like just the online space of, of kind of coming into your own. And, you know, I mean, basically you've advised and worked with, I I believe like 50,000 individual businesses uh, on a pretty regular basis across the globe. Right. So I'd love yeah, to yeah. hear about some of that story and, and some of that evolution, because you've got some monster companies now that you're the, the founder or co-founder of. 100%. One of the things to go back to what you were saying, and then I'll hop into the, the more of the service online space. If I have a thread on my Twitter, which I just discovered Twitter like maybe nine months ago. And I'm like, dude, it's the best thing in the world and it's the worst thing in the world. And it's just, there's not a lot of in between, but I have a thread on that that talks about some of the principles of 
the focusing on service first, because you're right. It, it came from a place of wanting to serve my wife and then serve my company and then serve my clients. And when you're focused on servants, like service, do things begin to grow uh, exponentially just because of who you are. But the companies that we have now, believe it or not, like for the most part, they're running uh, without me. I have a couple of projects that like I'm sort of prepping and, and trying to get uh, flipped around for some uh, items in the future. But Traffic and Funnels was the first one. And I started this with my business partner, Chris Evans, who's also kind of a, you can call him maybe an OG in the online space. Some of the bigger names, Todd Herman, Amy Porterfield, uh, he was responsible back end of their business for running their ads and their funnels and their setup. And so we connected when I was um, transitioning out of the real estate space, because I was doing copywriting, I learned the copywriting stuff from my wife, Lindsay. And I was like, this is so much fun. It sounds like a scam. Like when I say it this way, but like I'm printing cash, like I'm literally creating money as a copywriter, you create offers, you put them out to the market and people send you money. It's, it's crazy. So I was in this headspace of just like, man, I want to take as many clients as I can. And me and Chris teamed up because he was running the advertising. The NTF blew up into a monster. Like we didn't really see it coming. I think last year or the year before we did like 75,000 customers uh, for that business. Um, when you look at that, you know, you're know you 10X that and that's the amount of leads you're bringing in. So, you know, substantial, like three quarters of a million leads in a fiscal year. And then shortly after that, we got back into real estate. And shortly after that, we started a staffing company. And the thinking there was, what does every company need? They need salespeople. They need copywriters. They need media buyers. You know, there's these different tranches that organizations need and every organization needs it. And they're hard to find. Like staffing salespeople is not easy. Finding the right salespeople is a tough thing to do. And so I kind of got tired of training salespeople. And then what would happen, Justin, is these salespeople would get trained by me and then they'd, they would be like, I can go teach sales and they'd leave and start teaching sales. And it was like the third or fourth time this happened. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, I'm a abundance thinker. I want to let people go that are called to other things. But I was like, it's just so much work to develop these people. And then they, they move on. So we created a training for salespeople. And so now rather than training people from scratch, they buy training. And then if they want to work for us, we staff them for ourselves and we staff them for other business businesses that need salespeople. And so last year that business did like 1.6 million leads, like leads from a customer standpoint is 35,000 customers. 10,000 clients, like just ridiculous numbers. They don't make any sense. But when you find something that's really needed in the marketplace, it's high value to your TAM or your addressable market. Really the only limits on like that scale, the only limits is, is you, your thinking, you know? And so I think one of the things we figured out is like through exposure to people like yourself and different masterminds and, um, you know, you can hack your thinking by being around people who think bigger than you. And once you figure that out, it's game over. Like, you don't have to go through 30 years to develop your own thinking. You can now all of a sudden, like I spend time with Justin, Justin thinks bigger than I do. And through osmosis, I begin to replicate his thinking. And I think that that's like the secret of the universe right now, man. Like imagine if we could go back to the 1800s and we can, we can sit down and hang out with the Vanderbilts and Rockefeller. You couldn't do that. There was no access, no way to do it. So I think it's funny today when people, sometimes people develop a stigma with like, you know, paying for masterminds and paying for proximity. I'm like, man, it's one of the biggest gifts to our generation is the ability to pay money, which is cheap for experience, which is expensive. The trade is, is beautiful. And I, I figured that out. And that's like the rocket ship growth is from the proximity to the people that are better than I am at certain things. I don't know if that makes sense, but it gets me excited talking about it. Oh, I love it. I mean, it, it's awesome because I, I believe so much of the same thing. I mean, you're, you're spot on, Taylor, that like, how do you take yourself, your education, your knowledge to the next level? Well, you surround yourself by the smartest people that you can find. And sometimes they reside in your network. Most of the time they don't. So if they're in your network, be intentional and collect, you know, time with them. And the reality is most of the people you probably want to spend time with, they're going to elevate your thinking, elevate your ability to create, produce. They are not in your network. You have to intentionally go outside your comfort zone and find them by joining groups. And that's like, it. 
the Junto group is like the original mastermind, like the, the group that Ben Franklin and some of the greatest minds that ever lived, like they were part of this small little mastermind get together. And, you know, masterminds have kind of grown since then into what you have and what I have. And I think it's incredible. You know, I'd love to hear even more. I mean, I have a a chapter dedicated in my book to peer group, to mentorship, coaching, really the need to really grow and expand your mindset. I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on this because I know that we're in total alignment with the need to place people in our lives that get us out of our comfort zone, that think differently than us, that think bigger than us, that challenge us. And it's funny because the way that I think today, it feels really normal, but had I not made the moves that I made the last 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, my thinking would be in a totally different place. Like what's normal today is only normal because of who I've spent time with over the last decade or two. And if it was other people that influenced it, maybe I wouldn't have the conversations. I'm sure I wouldn't have the level of conversations that I have today. Everything comes down to what I'll call your frame. You can call it perspective. Um, You can call it whatever you want, but it really is a a lens or a frame through which you view the world. And, And an example, sometimes like if I'm, if I'm speaking or talking and trying to explain it is like, I'll ask an audience, like, who here feels like $50,000 is a lot of money? This is everyone raises their hands. A few people who know what, what we're doing, they don't raise their hands. But most of the audience, like 50,000 bucks is a lot of money because the frame that they're currently in is one of, to be honest, like limitation or they're playing a little smaller. And then I'll change the question and I'll say, imagine that you, you know you are uh, unable to work, you're in a catastrophic accident and $50,000 is the amount of money you have to last the rest of your life. Who here feels like $50,000 is a lot of money? Nobody raises their hand. The frame changed and therefore the answer changed. And life is just like that. Life is the same way. Like depending on the frame you have and frame comes from exposure Frame comes from people. Like everything, I tell people, everything starts in the mind. And it's funny how majority of society does not want to believe that. They don't want to accept it. Because if they accept it, that means that it's not the president's fault. You know, that means it's not capitalism's fault. It means that all of the excuses and the things that we've used to incubate ourselves from responsibility no longer work. And the the best part about what I get to do and, and no doubt, like I already know it's, this is the best part of what you get to do as well. Like you probably enjoy this way more than the money, way more than anything else is unlocking someone's frame, seeing their eyes change. And like, Oh my goodness, you're right. Like I can do this. And sometimes all it takes, like everybody prioritizes the lesson, the knowledge, teach me the tactic, Justin, like show me how you're doing this. But it, what it really is, is it's the cup of coffee before the event even starts where one sentence is said, and it's like, oh my God, it changes the frame for my entire life. And the only way you can get that is through proximity. It's There's an energy to it. It's my favorite part of the game because it's so simple and it's so difficult. It's both ends. You know what I mean? Totally. And it's funny because I think that most people don't even realize what they're looking for. Like they show up thinking they want one thing and they That's realize right. pretty quickly it's something totally different, Right. And with some people, it's hard for them to mentally justify a big expense. Like for me, I've invested in myself my whole life. I've spent, you know, I mean, easily over a million dollars. I had one coach that was $250,000 to coach with him for the year. And my friends thought I was crazy, but that $250,000 investment netted me significantly more. I mean, it was been, it's been an exponential return and playing the big game, the long game, it's easy to see that playing the short game. It's like, wow, like you could say 50,000 or 250,000 is a lot of money or it's a little money, but what's the value? Like what value do you get? What, what's the return on that? If you can spend $50,000 and truly buy your time back, is that worth it? I think most people would say, yeah, Yeah. if you can spend $50,000 and make $2 million in, you know, a year or two, is that worth it? And so it's, again, it's changing the frame, as you said, but it's being in a place uh, where you eliminate the scarcity of holding on, where you feel like, oh, I can't lose this money. I can't, I can't let go of it. You know, th- this is so much money. 
versus like, hey, how do I use this wealth that I have to take things to the next level? You know, how, how can I be a little more abundant and think, well, hey, I might lose this $50,000, but I'm going to learn some lessons along the way that are going to help me make much more than that in the future. Uh, and, and really, that's it. Because once you get to the point where it's like, hey, money's not finite, I can go make more if I need to, or I can connect with other people that make 50000 a lot easier than I make 50000 so I can learn their playbook, so I can copy it the rest of my life. I mean, that's the game changer, right? 100%. You've also got self-fulfilling prophecies in there. And this is something that I think people have to realize is if you make a decision based on $50,000 being a lot of money, $50,000 is always going to be a lot of money for you because you're making decisions that are validating a frame. And sometimes the fastest way, and I'm not advising and neither are you, we're not advising to go off, buy a Ferrari just because you want to change your frame. But sometimes you have to realize, hold on a minute, The vantage point from which I'm making this decision is going to validate a vantage point that I no longer want to live in. So it's it's hilarious. Like people will get on the phone with our reps or whatever. And they're like, man, I'm only making, you know, $200,000 a year. And I'm sick and tired of only making $200,000 a year. They're like, well, for proximity to us, it's 25K. And they're like, oh my God, I can't afford 25K. Well, you're making a decision from a, a circumstance that you said you're sick and tired of being stuck in. And so your choices are validating the current reality perpetually forever. And sometimes the fastest way to break through that is you get into a position that you want to be in and you say, what would I make the decision on if I was at this, if I was making a million, if I was making 1.5, 25K wouldn't be as big of a deal. And you can behave your way into a, into a certain frame. You can behave your way into feeling a certain way and you can behave your way into circumstances. And so self-fulfilling prophecy is a big deal here because uh, people stay stuck because they can't make decisions outside of the scope of their current circumstances, which makes it perpetual. They just spends and spends and spends. Yeah. And here's something else. So I love that frame. I love you discussing that self-perpetuating nature of being in scarcity and remaining in scarcity. Something that I learned that was pretty valuable for me, you know, early on in my life, it was pretty easy to set the goals of like, hey, I want to earn this. I want to earn X dollars or achieve this much or save this much or invest this much. And that is really easy when it's kind of coming to you. What I've found is I started making these goals of like, how much could I give away? Could I give away more than I was earning in a year at certain points in my life? And I found that once I became good at giving money away, that's when money lost its grip on me. I think at points in my life, I was a slave to ego, a slave to achievement, a slave to earning or saving or investing a certain amount. And once I was able to get to a place of, of being willing to just part with that money, I've had much more abundance enter into my life because money lost the grip. And that was huge for me. That's true. Validated. So you've got a book coming out. Uh, and this this is super early on because we're we're not, you know, quite at this space where, you know, you're, you know, doing any sort of promotion for it. And hopefully you're all right with me talking about it. But I love the sound. I mean, this is good at money, right? I mean, first of all, that's a brilliant name. It's very catchy. Everyone wants it. Um, But I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on this. Like, what is this book about? What? Why is this important to you? Love the question. There's two seasons I think of my life, and I was like we talked about earlier. Like, I was I was blessed to have great family, great parents. We lived well. Like I. I, I don't remember times in my childhood where I was, you know, we couldn't afford something. We, we didn't grow up, you know, with yachts or planes, but we took a couple of vacations a year and everything that, that I needed, I had. The first time I really remember struggling with money was in 2007, 2008, because my family went through a very difficult time due to the Great Recession. And my dad lost his job and I was just coming out of high school. And it, honestly, it was, it was bad, man. Like for the first time I was like, I have to go pick my mom up because they don't have gas. That's bad. 
when you compare and contrast from how I grew up, that was a, a really bad position. You know, my, my mom was working at, at Starbucks and she, she didn't work the entirety of my childhood. Uh, she didn't have to, my, my dad was able to, to take care of us. And I, I kind of learned the hard way that I, just because you grow up with something doesn't mean you learn how to control it. And I had no control and I had no idea what was going on. You know, I just knew that money was in my bank account. You know, I, I almost, you know, one, one month I was like about to get kicked out of my apartment for my roommate. Cause I didn't have money. Cause I got laid off shifts. And so it was really bad. Like it was a fight for me to figure out all of a sudden, like I'm used to calling dad or my mom if I needed something and I can't do that anymore. And so when I got successful in, in the corporate world and real estate and marketing kicked off, kicked off, like, you know, you got to realize I'm going from a position of not having that much to like multiple millions of dollars just sitting in a bank. I have no idea what to do with this money. Our first tax bill was like almost passed out. When you go from making like, you make 150,000 bucks, 250,000, 350,000. And then just 18 months later, you have a seven figure tax bill. It's like, wow. You know, that's, that's why we're in real estate now, which I'm sure you talk about and teach inside of your stuff is like, you know, how to, how to take care of your tax situation. But good at money for me is, is the documentation of the lessons that I should have learned as a kid, but didn't learn until later on. And it's just the, you know, most of humanity, most of society, when they are looking at, can they afford something? Where do they look? They look at their bank account, right? Do I have enough money? And it's like, no, 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 it's all wrong. Look at your plan. Don't look at your account balances. Look at your plan. How do you set aside money for taxes? How do you become more valuable, but not just valuable for the sake of value, but actually negotiating that value for more money and negotiating raises? What's happening in the fiat system? What's the Federal Reserve even doing? Why are bonds flipping upside down? Like, There's some stuff where we get into the book where it's like, let's talk about what happened when the gold reserve stopped and how that spiked inflation and really teaching people how to build a plan for their life, a plan for their money, so that they are not on a hamster wheel working, 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 working forever. If you make above $200,000, $250,000 a year, reasonably, you should have enough control over your income so that the next 10 years, you're able to kind of escape that madness if you want to. And But people aren't taught that because it doesn't service the system. It doesn't service the economy to do that. And so I'm, I'm passionate about the topic simply because money is like that. It's, it's one of the top reasons for divorce. It's probably the most emotional topic that people get stuck into is when they have a lot, life is good. When they don't have a lot, life is bad. And it's like, I've watched enough people, their identity changes when they get rich. And then it changes again when they lose it all. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like money is in control of you right now. Like you're not in control of this. And I think having a daughter and like building a family. It's like, man, I'm going to begin documenting the things that I know and the things that I have learned because I don't want just my kids to get access to my brain and the material that I've developed. I want everyone to have this ability to teach their kids because it's such an important tenet in your life. So we can go on and on and on about this, but it's gonna, it's, it's like, it's one of my favorite projects right now because it's simple while at the same time, it can help anybody build a, a good enough plan so that they're living their lifestyle the way they want and they're still preparing for the future in a way that is not stealing from them. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a special offer that I created for the lifestyle investor community. When I look back at my investing journey, there's one specific investment in particular that was the spark to increasing my net worth and allowing me to leave my job to become a lifestyle investor. I'm talking about mobile home parks. Yes, mobile home parks. If you just cringed a little, that's exactly why these provide such a great opportunity because of the negative stigma and stereotype people might have. In reality, this is an incredible investment that you can get into with little or no money down. You can also quickly get a return on your capital. You can immediately cash flow on day one. You can hold it forever as a cash cow. You get accelerated depreciation to reduce or eliminate the taxes that you would owe. And often the seller will finance the deal so you don't need a bank. You can also buy them at the highest cap rate of all real estate, meaning it's the cheapest real estate to buy based on the income that it generates. And it's the lowest default rate of all real estate, meaning it's the safest asset class to own in real estate. 
I use this asset class to start my journey in real estate investing and grow my net worth to over eight figures all before I turned 40. And out of all the questions that people ask me, how do I get into mobile home parks is still the number one question that I get, which is why I put together this mobile home park masterclass. This is a paid class that I'm offering for a limited time only. For all the details, head over to justindonald.com forward slash MHP and watch the video, which outlines all the details about the class and exactly what you get when you sign up. You'll also hear the incredible success stories from students who have gone through my content and are now making hundreds of thousands of dollars in passive income. If you want to take the same first step that I did that helped me take both my wife and I from working full-time jobs to becoming lifestyle investors, join me in my mobile home park masterclass and let's get started on your journey to becoming a lifestyle investor. Visit justindonald.com forward slash MHP for all the details. Yeah, this is powerful. I mean, there's so much that I want to extrapolate from what you just said. And the reality is true. Most people are not good at money. Why? Because most people rely on a system that doesn't work. The system itself is broken. The system is obsolete. This whole idea of nest egg investing is obsolete. There's such a small percentage of people that are actually going to build a nest egg in qualified plans using predominantly the stock market where they retire at a point in time that they have enough money that they can just live off that money till they die dwindling it down or live off of just the interest that lump sum produces. And most people don't realize until they get there that that plan didn't work. And now they're out of time and out of luck. Yeah. And that's not even to take into account, like, what if the stock market crashes right when you want to retire and your net worth is cut in half, you know? So, and and really the powers that are influencing the financial education in our country and all across the world are the institutions that want our money. There, there's a conflict of interest and there's a misalignment. And to me, I don't like when other people make money, even when I don't make money. That does not feel good to me. You can find this in both the public and private markets, but you can structure deals and investments where that's not the case. And you can find people that only make money when you make money and there's a total alignment. But I think you got to be careful with what is the common education. And and kind of the rule of thumb for me is if everyone else is doing it from a financial standpoint, then I need to run the opposite direction because almost no one has it figured out, right? That's right. So I I love this book. I'd love to know more of what you're teaching because I know you talk definitely about asset protection. I know you talk about, you know, investing as well. So part of it's like, how do you make money? And then part of it's like, how do you ensure that no one takes the wealth that you have built? Yeah. And and even into the some of the nitty-gritty of like, how do you track your money? You know, there's this thing where it's like when people start making good money, they just stop budgeting. I don't know about you, but like when I think about budgeting, I think about like my plan for future money. It's like, how do I tell my money what to do? Like, let's reverse the control here. And like, I'm going to give the money in my accounts a job to do. And if it doesn't do its job, then I'm going to hold it accountable to that. Um, And so really not looking at at tracking and budgeting and some of these things that are just kind of like negative connotations, not looking at them from a place of weakness or slavery, but looking at them from a place of control and power. It's like the better your planning is, the more your money will do for you long-term. You know, we get a little bit into some of the asset protection, not a lot though. I think some of it, but just because like you need to have, uh, you know, you need to have a will and testament or you need to have a trust or some of the softwares and the technology that I'm, that I'm able to use today just to set my estate up. We get into a little bit of that, but I think this will turn into a series, you know, over time. Like the first one is good at money. The, The second one, it might be good at deals. What does deal structure look like? Good at real estate, good at marketing, you know, good at business acquisition. Like all, there's so many different topics that you can't put everything into one book, but I think this is kind of the central cornerstone piece. Cause if you can't control your money, there's very few other things in life you're going to be able to control. It kind of starts with your resources. Yeah. I, I love that. I love the framework there. There's just so many directions that we could go, but overall, it's smart to have a financial plan and to track it and to do so with regularity. 
even if your plan is just what does it cost me to live on a monthly basis and how much then do I need to make to cover that? And then how much do I want to, like, what does the ideal lifestyle look like on a monthly basis? Generally, it's a lot easier to get to this ideal lifestyle than people think. And when you break it down, at least on a monthly basis, right? And when you break it down, it's like, oh, well, that that's actually reasonable. That's that's achievable, and it gives confidence to being able to move towards it. But I think at a bare minimum, at least knowing what it costs you to live, like survival income, at least what it costs you to live your current lifestyle, and then maybe where you want to go. What would be an inspiring life where you would feel excited, fulfilled? What does that look like? What are you doing and what does it cost for you to be doing that? 100%. Yep. So this said, I think another interesting topic that we could get into is cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and reserve currencies and sovereign currencies and where the value of the dollar is going to go. Do you have any thoughts on that that you uh, want to weigh into? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm, I, I discovered cryptocurrency. And, and again, you could be like, man, Taylor lives under a rock. I really kind of do. Like I focus and I go blinders and I just zone in. But when I discovered that just the idea of Bitcoin, you know, like, because everybody's talked about it for years, but it's kind of like, oh, whatever. No, nobody cares. When I actually got into this, to the technology, it didn't stop there. I went into Ethereum and Solana and then NFTs and like just became like obsessed with it. I fell in love with the idea of a store of value that cannot be manipulated by one organization for power. That's kind of what kicked me off on the topic of the book as well. And I think it's, you know, it's fascinating what we're seeing right now. It's like, man, everything really, even though the, the USD is kind of like the current leader yeah, everything still sort of revolves back to the euro dollar and the token system. And I feel like Bitcoin is a significant threat to the current powers that be because it's unhackable and it's unless you have quantum computing, like you can't you you can't change the code. Um, I don't know if you're invested in, in Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of those uh, cryptos or not, but for me That's right now, yes. <laughs> dude, I don't I don't see any I don't see any way that Bitcoin is not worth several hundred thousand dollars a coin over the next couple of years, just because the supply is fixed and declining and it's based on adoption. So you, people talk about value investing, but what is probably the new tier of, of this world is actually adoption investing. So the internet, the adoption curve of the internet, the adoption curve of, of Bitcoin, the adoption curve of, of the Ethereum blockchain, like there's so many people who are hopping onto this technology? If somebody said, "Well, Taylor, what about regulation? Like, what if the what if the Federal Reserve just creates their own version of uh, of a coin and tells you that you've got to trade your Bitcoin into that that thing?" It's like they would have to force us to use it because the value is not coming. The value is not even coming from the value of the technology. It's coming from the adoption of the technology, and I just don't think that it's necessarily in the realm of possibility at this point. Uh, for anything to shut down Bitcoin or Ethereum or Solana or any of the cryptocurrencies, because there are so many people that are now financially intertwined with its upside. It, once it hits Washington, like in the donors hop on it, it ain't going away, man. Like it is never going away. And so we have this weird fiscal battle, like war between like kind of the, the older elite who are financially tied to inflation and being a profit center. And then the newer kind of version of those people who are tied to their investment into future technology. And it's gonna be really interesting. And I don't, I don't know that there's a clear winner right now. I know that there was a clear loser, which is fiat currency. I don't think that we're going to see enough deflation over the next couple of years to fix anything, but I don't know that that begins to get speculative. I just can see that if you reverse the the indexes and you reverse the stock market, uh, you put everything in, in, in a denomination of like a, a more sophisticated or a, a more saleable asset, everything's crashing. So while we're touting like, man, the S&P is higher than it's ever been, this is higher. It's not actually coming from value. It's coming from the crashing of the fiat system. And I think that's concerning. Yeah, it's coming from 
you know, $10 trillion being pumped into our financial system that's making all 100%. assets inflate in price. You know, it's this is yep. artificial. This is this is not, you know, based on true value creation. Now, I think that's really important. And you had said, you know, I, I don't know who the winners and losers are going to be. I, I can tell you that nations that don't adopt it are going to lose. And so people say all the time, well, you know, it's a direct competition to, you know, our, our sovereign currency. Yeah, it is. And if laws are put in place to prohibit people from having it, there are always going to be workarounds. It's impossible to shut Bitcoin down because no one's ever going to get 50% you know, control. So there's always going to be a workaround. But the nations that adopt it and say, hey, we're going to embrace this because it's the inevitable, they're really going to win. Uh, and yeah. I hope that governments recognize that instead of being fearful and like, hey, we need to fight this, embrace it and say, hey, let's be a first adopter so that we can benefit also. So, you know, there can be a win-win long-term. Yeah. You just look at even like, uh, I think it's MicroStrategies. Uh, yeah. Michael Saylor. Yeah. Saylor. Yeah. Yeah. You're putting like, I, I think he just went, he just put leverage on new Bitcoin purchases, which is like, okay, man, some of the smartest people right now not only are they long Bitcoin, but they're now going long levered Bitcoin, which is when it's like, whoa, like there's there's a new level of commitment. They're just upping the ante even further. And it's going to be fascinating to watch their balance sheets just like balloon out based on the new adoption of, of Bitcoin. I've been buying a pretty substantial amount since the crash, like end of last year. And one of the things that I'm fascinated with right now is the utility of something like Ethereum, because you know, the merge is coming up and they're moving to um, proof of stake. And it's just like, man, the whole internet is going to be built on this thing in the, in the next couple of years. It's at this point, it's not even possible to prohibit it unless you want to have no like internet with yeah. where we're headed. You know, Yeah, there, there's no doubt. I mean, a lot of the investments I'm doing right now are companies that are really building on these blockchains. They're building their protocols off of either Bitcoin's blockchain or Ethereum's blockchain for, you know, a, a decentralized, you know, way to authenticate whatever it is, a smart contract, a, you know, yeah. payment, whatever it is. Uh, and so people who don't get on board will get left behind because this is the wave of the future. I don't, you know, I mean, I still think the vast majority of cryptocurrencies aren't going to make it, but cryptocurrency as a whole, there are always going to be these new innovations and they're going to be unbelievable technologies that revolutionize things. But blockchain in itself is revolutionary. Uh, Bitcoin in itself is revolutionary. And so it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, and you know, I've shared this before and, and I'll continue sharing it. There is probably little risk to owning Bitcoin, especially if you're looking at it as like, you know, a, a hedge against a devaluing dollar. Like people buy gold for that same reason. Why are you buying gold? Well, you're if you're thinking about it the right way, you're not buying gold to make money. You're buying gold to not lose money, right? It's insurance. 100%. And so yeah, Bitcoin, yeah. so even if you just put like, and again, this is not financial advice, but what I share all the time, it's like, well, why not have half a percent or 1% or 5%, you know, in, you know, some of these cryptos are specifically in Bitcoin. Uh, maybe it's just Bitcoin and Ethereum, whatever that split looks like. Because it's probably not going to zero, but if you are just sitting in cash, it's becoming worth less. So it's interesting yeah. to think about, like just trying to take some sort of an opportunity for the upshot. But here's the thing, like even as a as a secondary opinion on this, what is the point of gold? There is no point. You know, in in the nineteen when when was it like nineteen eighteen or whatever when we took the first step towards like the coming off the gold standard, literally you had to turn in your gold or your gold receipts or you go to jail. Like the, the United States took your gold and forced you to, to sell it to them at a predetermined price, according to the U S dollar. It, it's almost a, a mind switch of things that are physical can be taken from you and things that are digital cannot. And so you have the majority of the population who's like, well, it's a picture of a monkey. It's digital. You don't really own it. It's not a real thing. It's like anything that is a oh, tangibility can be taken from you. And I feel like we're approaching this place. Like Peter Schiff wants to talk about gold and stuff. It's like, do, some, do one thing 
good with your goals? What are you going to do? Like, like trying to go buy Taco Bell with it? Are you going to, how easy is it to convert? Like you're, he may be talking about ETFs and whatnot, but there's really no utility in gold except for it's difficult to produce. That's it. So when people are like, well, Bitcoin has no real value, it's like, what, what are you talking about? Like nothing has any real value. You know, the, the backing for fiat currency is planes and military and agreements. The, the backing for gold is just you can only harvest 2% of extra supply. You've got this technology that has like vast and far reaching utility. It just almost doesn't even make sense to buy gold anymore. Put all of that into something that is like digital. Yeah. And it's interesting. A lot of people, you know, talk about the ETFs of gold without recognizing that that means there's counterparty risk. So like, if Mm -hmm. you're going to do gold and silver, you should own it. You should physically own it and have it in your possession or have it in, you know, another jurisdiction overseas to the amount that you're legally allowed to without disclosing or disclose if it's, if it's at that level. But sometimes it's nice to have, I mean, I think it's good to have assets in, in other countries and, you know, outside of the borders of your own country. And I think it's really smart to just diversify into different things. So I'm not opposed to gold as a hedge to a dollar. I'm very fine having gold, knowing that the utility maybe isn't to do something. It's just to protect against my dollar that would sit in my bank account and go, you know, and become, you know, 10% less valuable right Dumb. don't do so. it well here's here's the thing though let me ask you this if things hit the fan in a bad way and you've got gold stuck on a locker somewhere what are you gonna do how are you gonna get it like you you, you know you can have a you can execute trades on it and whatever but to me the utility of gold is expiring and maybe there's still some life in it but when i look at like you know your gold maximalists I'm just like, yo, man, you're headed in the wrong direction. Like the world is digitizing everywhere. Like the, you know, the the NFT technology and the blockchain. And to me, it seems like there's one holdout and it's kind of like these tangible, it's, we're not talking about gasoline where it's like, or commodities or plastic. Like I'd rather own a bunch of plastic right now or windows than gold, because at least with windows, there's such a need for them that I can do something. Gold is worthless. Like there's no point in having gold unless you're going to like, make a hammer and like go out and like harvest your crops. Like it doesn't, to me, I'm the opposite of that where the, the things required for gold to be valuable are civilization. Yeah. I think that if we lose that, we lose the utility. Yeah. I think the danger is being a maximalist on any single thing because that's it. so many opportunities. And the goal is to have a piece of each of them or as many of them that's as right. you can get your hands on. Right. Uh, Hey, this has been incredible, Taylor. I I really appreciate your time. Where can our audience learn more about you and all the cool stuff that you're up to? So easiest way is uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm active on Twitter. They can go to the site, taylorawelch.com. The team, we actually put together a, a training specifically for your crew. This is a free gift. I did an event because the book that's coming out in a couple of months, you know, I had to create a bunch of graphics and doodles and concepts. And um, I just said, you know, I've got to do this anyway. So I'm going to sell an event, have people hop on and just hear me talk about money and and fiat and things like that. So we sold uh, $1,500 tickets. We did this event. We talked about inflation, fiat currency, uh, investing principles that I'm very, they're probably very aligned with yours. And so we've put together uh, something for your audience that removes the payment. It's totally free. It's just a gift. Uh, People can go through that taylorawelch.com slash lifestyle. And then anything on social media, hit me with the message. I love engaging with people, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's all the same, Taylor A. Welch. Uh, and then we got to have you on, on our podcast as well and uh, drop some knowledge bumps. So, Well, I'm excited. Thank you so much for your generosity and for your expertise and just sharing all the cool stuff that you're up to. I want to leave this episode the way I leave each one. And that's this. What's the one step you can take today towards financial freedom and towards a life that's truly on your terms, not by default, but by design? We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. 
Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who could benefit from this episode, would you share it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all the resources mentioned, visit www.justindonald.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor.